Welcome back to the LPC Canteen. I am your favorite host, Fano. I am Elena. So today our guest speaker is Jadine. So Jadine, do you want to briefly introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi guys. My name is Jadine. Uh, I'm from Kenya and I'm a second year student at LPC with Fanny and Elena. <laughs> Yay! We actually had a, like some requests for you to come on specifically. So, yeah. So, have you noticed anyone being particularly like nice to you over the past few weeks? Maybe they really wanted you to come on. Oh, cute! That's so nice. I oh wow. Okay, I feel kind of cool now. The people like my thoughts. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I remember one of the first. People that I met in LPC was Jadine because we're in the same tutor group, and I remember there was this one conversation that we had that I'm still like very aware of, and I was asking you about sort of issues that were happening about like Chinese investment in Africa in general, for example, in Zimbabwe and in Kenya. And I remember you were very very passionate about these issues, and you you spoke very.、Um, Not not to be offensive or anything, you, but you spoke like very like with a lot of passion and with a lot of confidence in your、um, your speech. So I was, have you ever has has anyone ever told you that you like you have like a very passionate sort of、um, stance towards issues that you care about? Yeah, actually, that's so. Yeah, I remember that conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah.、Um, I think it's because. That was like a, an issue. I felt like I felt personally affected me. People、mm-hmm. have told me that I speak really, I guess, like passionately. Passionately is a nice way to frame it. I feel sometimes I do get aggressive, but、um, yeah, I I do tend to talk passionately about issues that affect people I care about and places I come from. Yeah,、um, I also I can relate a lot because there are certain issues that if you if we are not on the same side, I will argue until like. Night, as like people of、um, UWC, we have this sort of there's this sort of stigma that you have to be、agree、sympathetic towards a lot of yeah agree with everyone and be sympathetic towards a lot of viewpoints. But I I don't think that taking a stance is, and I don't think that you know passionately talking about issues that you don't agree with or you, that you agree with is a wrong thing or it should it shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, definitely. I would completely agree with that. Sorry, Elena, go ahead and jump in. Well, I just heard what Fanny said. Her description of you does just remind me about experience last year because before I come to Hong Kong, I never heard so much criticism to China, and then after I come, it just so much conflicts. But yeah, I think it's great opportunity for us, you know, to learn about diverse opinions, even though we don't agree with each other, but we are still friends with each other. Oh, what are I actually want to know? Like, what are your thoughts on、um, people who do criticize China, Elena? Like, do you have any like particular thoughts on that, or do you think I, that、um, they also need to sort of learn about Chinese culture more before, or Chinese politics, or you know, more before they criticize China? I mean, I need to acknowledge that China has limitations. Uh, for example, like democracy, but also in some aspect, I feel like non-Chinese people also have a lot of stereotypes to the Chinese.、Uh, but I just want to say maybe no more about the Chinese culture and the history. So yeah, 
I think for my country, I love my country, so I want to criticize my country. Yeah, yeah. I think like there is like this very, this very standard argument、um, for people who do support、um, China's current public political regime, and it's that you know they always there's always like some sort of historical element that they cite, and because of this like certain. Historical event that happened, and these sort of series of historical events of you know like China having like、um, emperors and like dynasties. But yeah, I think that is up for debate.、Um, yep. So yeah, Jadine. So, so what what are your again? I I actually I am really interested in、um, Chinese investment in like African countries. So I was just like wondering what your thoughts on this was. Yeah, no problem. This is actually、um, a topic I'm also really interested in, and I've done research on it for the past two years of my life. I'm actually doing my EE on the same topic, so、um, to some extent, I can kind of understand like、uh, what China's intentions in Africa may be, because、uh, as a local, I can see、um, the kind of projects that it's go- the country, the China's investment is going to itself. It's mostly like infrastructure, but my problem is that. Um, it's being passed as something that's coming as development work or development aid. When I feel it's more to establish like geopolitical influence in African countries, because you look at、uh, Zimbabwe as I was talking about before, they have state、um, sorry state、um, operations being taken over by Chinese by Chinese of I guess companies I would say.、So、I think I as Elena mentioned maybe look trying to understand Chinese politics in its own and of itself, but when you look at it from like an A Kenyan perspective, I guess my own perspective. I don't think、um, it's necessarily good because it's trapping countries into debt that's completely unsustainable and only to assert political influence, which I am not a big fan of. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that because I also did my econ IA on Zimbabwe and how this is not to be offensive or anything. This is the news. <laughs> yeah, so there are some Chinese companies just investing in Zim. Zimbabwean hydro power plants and power plants. I remember it was. I think it was a Kariba. I'm sorry if this is. I think that you know people could say that it's good for economic growth and economic development, but at the same time, there are also a lot of.、Uh, I I I believe there are a lot of political undertones of this sort of investment. It's kind of like it's kind of like um how how in the in the past. Maybe European countries would invest a lot in Asian countries, for example, Hong Kong or or Macau or, you know,、um, I, I think Vietnam and you know all these Philippines. There are all, there are a lot of Asian countries that have sort of been like it's kind of like a modern colonization, I guess, because like a lot of colonizing countries they they sort of put a lot of resources into still like developing countries and to sort of. Benefit, which sort of benefits the developing country, but in, at the end of the day, it it is like for the purpose of helping the developed country. That's one of my opinions. Yeah, yeah I completely agree with that. And just the whole concept of new colonialism, which you brought in, I think that's also really like resounding as you look at what、um, is happening around the world. But then also, like Elena said, um, uh, China is often looked at from this one lens, this one singular linear lens. And、uh, if you look at who's saying who's raising like the new colonialism flag, it's mostly like、uh, countries of a former colon like colonizing nations, like let's say like in Europe, like what Fanny you've talked about, and you look at the U.S. and you can look at the relations, the political economic ones that they have with China, 
And you can just see how it would be beneficial to them to sound this alarm that China is doing all these wrong things and they're using you. Because in the end, it's they who will benefit. Yet they have done the same thing to economic exploitation in the past, as well as like labor force exploitation. So I think that's also important to note when we talk about like development issues or how different countries work in others. Mm-hmm. I also agree with like the linear perspective with China, because like a lot of people view China as like either this big bad wolf or either as a a a communist um, heaven, but I think it there is like there is like a wide variety of people, and because it is such a large country, you will definitely meet like people of all kinds in China, and like people with you know different political standings and people with different standings on issues in China and the rest of your world. So I don't agree that you know it's fair for Chinese for the Chinese and for like China as a whole to be viewed through like a particular lens that you know China is is bad or China is. You know, uneducated, uneducated, or China. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah, agree. Yeah, and just speaking about the communism, I feel it did helps China in the past, but it really needs to improve and evolve in the modern era. Because I feel like people have more access to the Google or to the sites outside of China. So maybe it's a time for China to improve its system and to let more people to know from multiple perspectives. Yeah, speaking of like, I'm not sure when、um, Google was and like Facebook and like was banned in China, but I remember like I think it was like when I was studying because I studied at、um, in China for like two years, and I remember like I think like there was a specific year when my English teacher at that time he like he just like he couldn't use Google anymore, so he had to switch to Bing, which and he was like so depressed by that because. He had to use Bing instead of Google, and you know he he didn't know how to use like the Chinese search engine, so that was like a very, a very it had a very big impact on him and how he worked in China.、But、yeah, yeah. So, so I also heard that you're really into Formula One. I remember in like one of our tutor meetings, you were talking about how we should all watch Formula One. So I was just wondering. Why it's so good? Because I have like I think my my roomie is also、um, my roomie is also telling me to watch Formula One. So or、uh, she 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 was going to watch Formula One. So yeah, what's with all the hype around Formula One? Oh my god! First of all, your roomie talk to your roommate if she's gonna start watching Formula One. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so I also didn't really get it. So my dad used to watch it a long,、uh, a lot when I was growing up, and he would reserve a whole like afternoon, and we'd all have to come home from wherever we were to watch, like just be there because he wanted to watch the race. So I didn't get it, and then、um, I read into、um, Lewis Hamilton, who's kind of one of like the big stars of Formula One. He's won、uh, six champion, yeah, six championships. I think he's gonna win. Yeah, he's gonna win the seventh one this year. Anyway, so.、Um, Aside from like the racing itself and the thrill of such fast speeds, because they go at about like two hundred and fifty kilometers per hour, which is about the same speed as a plane when it's like taking off, that's quite fast. So aside from like the engineering aspect of it and the physics side of it, which is really really cool, there's this other aspect of like human sport and competition, which I really really love, and I've come to appreciate so much. Even view athletics because no one imagines that people who drive cars for a living. Can actually be proper athletes, and that's something that's it really helped me survive the whole of 2019 because of the extreme competition, how much 
uh, how much discipline the drivers have to have and the work ethic. So it's evolved into more than just, uh, I guess, sport for me and just a man breaking through um, this world that was meant for like white men who were privileged and rich. Because Lewis himself is a black man. He's breaking like a mold in the sport and making his mark, which is something I really identify with because it's something I want to do in the field I decide to pursue in the future. So that's, I think, what makes me love it so much. So it's basically a, it's like a racing competition and it's aired throughout yes. the world. Yes, okay. Formula One is the pinnacle of motorsport. So what happens is <laughs> they drive. <laughs> they drive. Pinnacle. Yeah, pinnacle, man. Top tier. <laughs> it's the highest level. So mm-hmm. they drive, um, they drive these special cars. You should watch YouTube videos about it. It's really cool. So they drive really fast cars, cars around circuits around the world. So they go to Europe, they go to Asia, they go to North and South America, everywhere except my continent once again, which is left out, but it's cool. Yeah, I think I can sort of understand that sort of athlete and like competition mindset because for a while I was really into sports animes, like just the genre of sports anime. So it's like a very like kind of niche genre, genre, but it's like, it's really interesting to watch how like even I think like I think like Michael Jordan he had a a documentary like The Last Dance and a lot of people got hooked on that and I think that there's something very magical about athletes just being athletes and I don't know just like um, going through that kind of kind of comp- comp- competition and and being very competitive and it just really like energizes you I guess and it makes you also wow like what if what if I was also like in that situation like how would I react and would I be able to like you know do what they did yeah definitely and that emotional aspect of the sport I think is what makes it so great because the same way you could watch a movie and like, kind of put yourself in the character's shoes and immerse yourself. That's how I feel sport is in my life. So I really love to watch it and keep that, like, like adapt some of the mindsets I see in my favorite athletes. Yeah, I feel like people with passions towards certain subjects are very interesting because I feel like in our day and age, we don't really have hobbies and we just spend a lot of our time watching other people. I feel like that's like sort of the trend nowadays, just like watching other people live their lives. You also like that. Go mm-hmm. on, sorry. Yeah, you were saying. No, uh, just how you said that people don't have hobbies. I also think there's a lot of pressure to find hobbies in this day and age, and find something that you're really good at. But sometimes, you know, like you can be like, okay, not mediocre, like average or like good in quotes at a wide range of things. But I feel like there's more pressure now to find something that you're extremely passionate about, just one thing. Yeah, to- yeah, especially because um, it's like uni app season, so like a lot of like the question is like what do you like, what's like the thing that you're most passionate about? Like, what do you do in your free time? And sometimes I just want to like write, you know, I just sleep in my free time. I, <laughs> you know, Ivy is like a really big thing. So like, I don't know, like, <laughs> you know, there isn't really much time to do anything else like outside, like, you know. Yeah, I'd completely agree with that. And then there's also the thing how you feel that you have to be amazing at one specific thing. And they always, it seems like they look down at people who spread themselves, I guess, across a variety yeah, yeah. of things. So I feel like that, like, dynamic, dynam, dynamic, what's the word? Like, being dynamic. <laughs> so, well-rounded. Um, yeah, well-rounded. And, yeah, I feel like that's not given as, that's not being looked at as much, with as much, like, respect compared to being amazing at one thing. And I don't think that's, a, like, a great thing to be doing right now. 
Yeah, I agree.、Mm-hmm. I kind of can't understand like why those people always want the student have to be like you do a great things. But I mean, like, we are just normal people who are doing the normal things every day, and yeah, maybe we're just watching other very excellent people what they are doing, so we might feel a little bit relief. Yeah, especially at LPC, I would agree with us so much because these people who have like who are like doing starting nonprofits at home, people who are extremely politically active. So you never feel like you're doing enough, I guess. Yeah, I also feel like、um, there's this like there are in certain hobbies and certain passions that are more that have more of like value. I don't know. Like I guess one of my passions is just so I'm like I, I'm not. This is like this is like really revealing right now. But like I I used to、um, yes <laughs> I used、oh, to. I- <laughs> I'm like a very big、um, fan girl, so like I have certain things that I care about a lot. But I don't think that that passion or that hobby is as valued as you know people who have coding as their hobbies. So I feel like you know like what is a good hobby that conforms to these sort of societal expectations of what good hobby should be. I think that it's like a very limited range. Yeah, so it's like so in in a sense like your hobby is not actually your hobby but like what you know you think that you should be I but like you know some people really have like coding as their hobbies and you know they have you know starting you know NGOs as their hobbies and I think that's that's, that's like super amazing I'm I'm not saying that that's bad <laughs> but I'm just <laughs> saying that there are certain hobbies that you know just proves that there are certain hobbies that you know. Are better. I mean, not like better, but like you know, are more valued, I guess, in society. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, just I feel like sometimes it doesn't also take into account different contexts, because um, like in Canada, from where I come from, I feel、uh, there's a kind of a big like gap between people from different like socioeconomic classes. That's the hobby they have because it's not accessible to them. They don't have other options. Like especially when I came to LPC, I realized how people have a lot of chances in different countries to explore like academic interests outside of class and outside of school. And I didn't necessarily have that. But I hate talking about it because I don't want to have like my country be represented as this one place where children don't get an op- get the opportunity to have a good education. So maybe、uh, just to go on, I think、um, finding a balance at LPC because we all come from like sometimes it's only one person from your country. Try not to be the only face of your country and trying to show a I guess well rounded、uh, perspective of where you come from and who you are at LPC. That's a very interesting perspective because as a a local at LPC, I feel like. Our experience differs a lot because I I, I I didn't know that there was this huge there was a sort of burden on you guys to 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 represent your country well I guess and because there's so much of like Hong Kong people in LPC you really see like sort of different types of Hong Kong students I guess so yeah I, I didn't know that before that's yeah that's a really new perspective I I mean I knew that like I knew that you know people represented their countries but I I wasn't Aware that this burden was very big.、Uh, yeah, I don't know. Some days it's bigger than others because you feel this pressure to like show your country in a positive light, but then you also know you can't sugarcoat everything, and you have to also display like the other side of like the reality of what exists in where you come from. So back to what you said about、um, some hobbies not being accessible in some places. Could you maybe expand on that? Because especially like if you're in Hong Kong, there are like. There are like some limitations to what you can do because, for example, you can't really like start. I don't know, like 
start building roads in Hong Kong or like start like, you know, putting up street lamps in places that don't have lamps because there are like kind of regulations for that. And I think, I think that feel like illegal to put up lamps wherever you want. But I think that in, in like some countries you are like, there are, there is a need for these NGOs. So um, basically before I was, before I came to LPC, I have I had experienced um, school in a local Kenyan school and an international school. So when I was at the when I was at the local school I was in, it was a great school and I enjoyed it. But um, I didn't uh, really get the opportunity to explore lots of extracurricular options. And I'm sure maybe this is something that's common with some people from other parts of the world, because um, math and science were the only like valuable things. So um, let's say for example, because I really like to read. I guess there was also this thing that people would say that it was a really white thing to do that I because I re- reading was my hobby but I didn't get to um I guess immerse myself as much as I wanted into it because it was a thing to do and it wasn't going to help me where I was so I think just making um like books accessible in most places and changing the perception that a black child or a black individual cannot be educated is something that um was limiting for me in Kenya which was very strange because it's a majority black country and there's about like yeah, it's a majority black country, so that was weird. So I think um, accessibility was something that I noticed that wasn't there. So to whether it was to like books or um, in Hong Kong, you have, I guess, companies and organizations endorsing extracurriculars for some students through like scholarships, competitions and funds. And that doesn't really exist as much, I would say, in Kenya. Or it's hidden away from children who have potential to explore those different avenues and make use of them. I can kind of relate to that, but it's not about the resource problem. It's rather than education system, because in the public school in China, it's mostly uh, university or something. They will not consider the extra curriculum. Rather, they will only consider the scores uh, in school to be only standards to measure their students. Yeah, I do think that coming to Hong Kong really provides us a lot of great opportunities, even though it has a lot of like strict regulations uh, posed by the government, but it offers a lot of resources. But I was just um, wondering, how come reading is considered like a very whitewashed hobby? Uh, that's actually a good question, because um, I think I was reading lots of novels, I guess, and I'm, uh, I guess, language and humanities inclined person. So, um, and I think my, I guess people really valued like math and science at the time. And I think maybe still today, to some extent. But um, in, I guess, in the, the school system was called 844. So in the system that I was in, what was valued more was like uh, strict academic classwork. And no one saw like reading as a, it was just a thing that people in international schools, the white people did. I don't know why to this day, but I think that maybe has changed because we're kind of evolving to understand like different individuals to be able to be like multifaceted and like, and not um, restrict, I guess, certain ideas and hobbies to certain races. Like you can be educated and be black. You can be educated and um, be, I guess, uh, Asian. You can be, you can be educated, whatever you think can only be constrained to white people and you can be it without being white. Like no offense to any Caucasians out there, but I think that it's like interesting how we have Caucasian standards for, for, for hobbies and like what is considered like, you know, uh, this is, this sounds so weird. And what, what, yeah, I think it is, this whole thing is very weird. I, yeah, I also like, I think I also felt that like, because back to your, your point about like math and like math and science versus literature, this was like an issue that was, I was very passionate about while I was in, um, 
in my old school, which is a local Hong Kong school, because there is definitely more of a, there's more like value placed towards STEM than other subjects. And I feel like this is very, I am very like, I do not agree with this. I, I know that like, I, I agree that STEM is very important for, you know, technical, technological advancement and what, whatever. But the fact that some, I don't know, some institutions will be like, oh, if you do STEM, then we like you. If we, if you don't do STEM, then, you know, you're not really, you're not the right fit for us. And even like, I don't know, there was like this huge stereotype about English majors. Like, I don't know, in like the 2010s or something, it's like, if you're an English major, then just like prepare to not have a job. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I relate to that as well. I think also it's the same way, like if someone told you like they were a doctor, let's say, or an engineer, everyone is always so amazed. But if someone says they're like, a his- like no one doubts what they do. But if someone says they're a historian, let's say, for example, then everyone's like, oh, my God, what's your job? Do you even have a job? What can you even do? And I think it really shows itself when um, you can even see how, like, uh, I guess, governments and yeah, research institutes allocate their funding. Because I was trying to look into this in Kenya and you don't find any like government sponsored research, I guess, into humanities or even science and some yeah, at all almost. But it's more likely to take place in uh STEM than in human than in humanities or like liberal arts, I guess. And that's I think it's just because humans just chase like right now I feel like the world has evolved is just chasing like technological advancement as you talked about, but people are starting to realize now the importance of uh, being human because I think that's more what um, liberal arts and humanities brings. And that's getting more and more important because tech can't read, um, can't read like human perception and emotion, I guess. Yeah. 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 I agree. Like, I feel like as we become more advanced in these sort of eras, like for example, in AI and, and whatever, <laughs> not like whatever but like in ai and like like that's like the only term i know in like i don't know big like big tech um and you know big big data like as we become more advanced in these technologies humans and humanity will become increasingly more important because you know like what if we can't differentiate what's human and what's artificial you know like so i feel like historians and um english majors here will they will like play a very big role in how we develop as a society in this very very technologically advanced world like before i also had a similar um conception about historians and how oh like so do you guys just like read history and do you guys just (laughs) memorize facts about world war ii or something but like i changed my i changed my mind on that after reading um i i think it was um Homo sapiens and um, twenty first, uh, twenty one less. Yeah, yeah, twenty one less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was Yuval Harari. Harari, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think his sort of his expertise on everything just made me like look up to people who study history a lot because they can predict the future, bro. Like <laughs> they can predict the future. Like it's it's scary. Yeah, because but people, okay, this yeah. is a really point. But people like um understanding the past to like know your present and how you're going to move to the future. It's such an important thing. And because I'm, I also really am passionate about history because I've been denied learning about like my own countries. So I, I think it's really important thing. And it's such an, it's so overlooked and underrepresented so much. It's the most annoying thing. It's the most annoying thing because it's so important. Like what you said, it gives you so much insight how societies work before, and then you can see the shortcomings and how to avoid those in the future. So I think that's such an important aspect of history. Yeah, definitely agree. 
And I think that history, like, even though I don't study history because I was so bad at, because like in, in my old school, we had like Chinese history and I was so bad at that subject. I would fail every test. Um, so I think like, I think, I think school history isn't very, I'm not sure, but for me, school history wasn't very intriguing. It wasn't very interesting because I was basically just memorizing facts and, and using like these facts to sort of, I don't know, evaluate some sort of historical controversy. But I, history in the real world, it's sort of like, it's sort of like economics. Like when you're learning about economics is not as interesting as when you're doing economics in the real world. So I feel like there's a big sort of difference between yeah. what they what they do in school and what you do like outside of school. I think it really depends on one person's interest because history is like a nightmare for me. I still remember during my middle school and every class, my history teacher would ask me to go to the blackboard and then we need to write down the answer after he gave out the question. And it was so scary. And I think this experience made me not interested in history anymore. But yeah, I agree with the history, like the importance to, to what the whole society and also uh, just want to add a quick note to what you guys just say. I think also because of the human nature, the people always chase toward uh, what is scarce. So after you can find the people with STEM degree everywhere in the street, then the people with, for example, history degree or English degree will be viewed as more important. <laughs> yeah, because no one ever appreciates anything until it's like missing and you don't have yeah. it anymore. It's so interesting to see the failings of education in that way. Because you talked about like economics uh, in real life and then economics in school. And that's just so, that's just so sad because school is supposed to prepare you for like what's going to happen in the, like, what's going to happen in the future, I guess. But it always fails to do that because it doesn't, I feel school fails at addressing individual interests and maybe realistically it cannot do that. But it sucks that you have to go through your life learning about this issue from one set in one certain way. And then in the end, it doesn't even help you. Yeah school plays a really important role in you know what we do in our future because you know that's the whole point of getting an education it's about learning but it's also about you know prepping you for what is to come and um i'm not saying that because like because i feel like you know having to set an education curriculum and having to set like curriculums for a particular country like and you know these places it i think it's very hard I, I'm not saying that people, you know, who set curriculums have an easy job. They have a pretty tough job to do because they have to decide, you know, how millions of students are going to learn a specific subject. So I am definitely not saying that they shouldn't be praised, but I'm also saying that they should work harder <laughs> because when you see so many like students just like you know, just saying that, oh my God, like this education no curriculum is so bad. Like, why why are you doing this to us? You know, you see so many people dropping out of school to pursue YouTube. Uh, when, like, you need to start changing the curriculum, bro. You need to, like, change it, you know, according to the standards that we have today. Like, if we learn so much about the history without knowing why we need to learn it, I feel like we learn, like, history for the future. So if you don't learn why, like, we don't, if we don't know why we need to learn it, then it's not going to be interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. And also what we're le- what and who we're learning about as well as how we learn it. Because why am I in Kenya learning about Tudor and Stuart times? Or like, I don't know what exactly century that is of UK, of British history. But why am I learning about that as a 10-year-old? And I know nothing about my own history in school. That's why I feel like education should really take into account like where people are from and where they are, like geographically, and then teach them about that place. Because 
how can you learn about other countries before you learn? I find that insane. I feel like history. I mean, just like I don't know why we're talking about history. A pretty interesting subject, I guess. Um, yeah. So, like what Elena was saying about Chinese history, there's such an important focus on history in China and in like Chinese culture. I'm not sure why, but like saying that China China was like the center of the world and. Yeah, especially in China, there's there's so much facts to be remembered, and there's so much rote memorization in history. It doesn't make it very pleasant to learn. Do you have any thoughts on that, Selena? About you know Chinese history in in particular? Well, I know that some contexts, some historical events, are not mentioned or being edited in the historical text. Know that this situation is not only in China, but also in many other countries. So I do think that um, maybe for the countries who decide about the, how history is taught to the next generation has from their own perspective, for their own interests. Well, I mean, like I don't think there is a really completely objective history in the world. But I think maybe to know about the history in a more comprehensive way, then you can just learn the history from the textbook from the different countries or the sources from different countries. So you can consider in different perspectives. Yeah, that's a great point. I agree with that because in the end, history is also it, it's very it's a very political subject, and it's always written by like the people always say it's written by like the winners of war, never the losers. And I completely agree that it only has like one perspective, and maybe that's why I agree with Elena that they can never be an objective history because it's always written by the person who ends up victorious in an event. So let's move on to the next topic.、Um, I just want to say because、uh, Fanny also talked about her first impression about you. So my first impression about you is on leadership. No matter whether you're being a block representative or in the student committee, so. Are you the person who always have that kind of strong leadership? Oh wow, that's so sweet. I feel oh, that, that's so nice. Thank you. <laughs> But um, I I don't know because as a kid, like you know, when your teachers would write you like um, like kind of like a report or like a little comment about yourself, some my teachers would always write that uh, I would always like. I would always like lead the class. I that no people would always like follow me, and like I would never like be the person like following someone else in a group because it just I honestly just didn't care enough about what other people were doing. And people say that they see it in me, but sometimes I'm not doing it intentionally. It's just that I feel no patience. I have no patience to do something when I'm not really about it. So I kind of always end up taking against my own、uh, route towards doing something, and maybe that's why it looks like I'm leading people. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, but what I mean is in a positive way. I know what you mean because my mom always <laughs> say me like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. People told me that as I was growing up, and then I kind of felt pressure.、Um, like about a few years ago, I always felt pressure to like that. I always had to like lead a group or like be in charge of things. But then also, I don't like when things are done chaotically. So maybe that's why I just decide to just do it myself or just decide to be the one like in charge. I guess. Because I was talking about how I would just end up doing things, and it wasn't like something I would intentionally pursue. I guess sometimes,、um, I think when people start cha- like you talked about, like yes, uni apps and everything. People, when people start changing, like explicitly show that they have leadership capabilities, then that's when I think it's actually a display of like not really being a leader. Because you can do if you cannot do the same thing without a title, then what are you really doing? If you needed the official position of like leader, let's say or president, let's say. Then you're not a leader because you couldn't have done it. Someone else is doing the same thing as you without the same title, 
And I think that's really like a true demonstration of leadership. And I guess that's the, I guess the quality that I've been trying to like develop within myself because if I, I don't want to do something just so that I can have a title of doing the thing, I want to do the thing so I can like, yeah, without the title, because that's when I feel that I really demonstrated my abilities in something. Yeah, definitely agree. Like when you, when you, I don't know, like, because you mentioned that you would just like naturally become sort of the leader of the group. But when that sort of thing is natural and when people just assume that you are the leader, then you know that you have a very genuine like leadership because that's what you're good at. But if it's like you're doing it, you know, for the name or whatever, then it's not really, it's not really genuine, genuine, I guess. And I think that genuine, genuine, it, genuinity is a thing that is very it's very it's very easy to tell whether something is real or fake yeah so for example in again like this is like a very um it is a very um american perspective but like for example in the united states they have like presidents right and i feel like you can tell that trump was just doing it because he had some sort of i don't know maybe economic He probably had economic motives for becoming president and he probably did it you know just to say i am the president of america like you know just like just so but if you compare it to maybe barack obama like you could tell that you know he really wanted to become the like the leader of um the states basically because he wanted to become a better president for everybody there but i don't know you see the thing is because i'm um, obama's actually he's his parents or his grand his grandfather someone is i think is from is from kenya so we all like the whole world was just rooting for him because he was a black man you know because everyone was like it's their person and i think that was mm-hmm. also a really interesting like aspect to his like type of leadership it was really cool but then now looking back cuz um i think now i have a more like objective lens when looking at his presidency and i'm starting to see how much of like i guess ideal he's a great guy I just start to see how much um we've idealized everything he does and it's almost as if he could do nothing wrong which I think is so interesting. Yeah, and the the Trump com- component really sort of helps the sort of idealization of Obama because you can compare like the two and you can see how they're they're basically on opposite sides of the spectrum. So Trump being president also really helps Obama <laughs> become a better like president. Yeah. And like it it significantly improves how we see him. So if like for example like the the Snowden things like the Snowden thing like I I was very at that time I didn't know what was happening but like I I watched like the document like not the documentary the movie like I don't know like 2 years ago and like after that I was like whoa like you know what what, what were they doing then you know like how could they how could this happen and you know you know mm-hmm. like there's a joke in China say the president Trump is a member of the communist party or part of China because some measures he take for example against the globalization actually helps China's go toward the uh, globalization yeah, uh-huh, some measures yeah. that Trump take actually help perpetuate China as like as a leader in in the global world so like you know how like before we had like before like we always thought that the US was like you know the global leader and like they're the center of the world whatever and mm-hmm. now because like trump is like oh we don't want to like, we, we don't want to care about other countries no <laughs> this is yeah. like, i i feel like i'm stereotyping trump too much but like i don't know like isn't this what everybody does <laughs> but <laughs> yeah but now that he's like oh like we don't want to like care about you know anything you know he dropped out from the un and the i not the, not the, the paris agreement and whatever and um because he's 
stop. He's not letting his country like take over these sort of leadership positions on a global scale. China sees that and they they jump in and like they you know they are like trying to take advantage of this presidency. I would agree、yeah. with that because I was actually having this discussion with my parents, and、um, Trump's actions are actually—it's encouraging and、um, it's creating this amazing, like、um, I guess, opportunity for China to continue ascend, continue ascending, and become like I guess what you said, like replace the U.S. Because now China looks like it's the one going for the globalization and everything, but at the same time, you can clearly see how they're trying to monopolize international like policy, and you can see how they're trying to like control, like they're literally trying to pull the strings of the world because the U.S. has decided. That's not what it's about anymore. I think that's also super interesting to watch. Yeah. Do you take global? Can you imagine? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you seem like I like I know you seem like the perfect like global student. <laughs> oh my god! You know, I actually chose it at the start, but then、um, I had history, and they were like, "No, you can't do global." So it was a struggle.、Uh, yeah. Can you still request for that because they also set the same rule for the business.、Mm-hmm. But then, like I express, I really want to take business, so they just let me in. That time I didn't know how much I wanted it, and now I I'm doing geography right now, and I'm actually kind of going to like it because geography um because I'm also really into development. Geography gives me both the environmental outlook. As well as the human side, so I'm appreciating having both of those perspectives in my class because I don't think I would have had as much of it in global politics. But yeah, I would have loved to take it anyway. Yep. <laughs> Before we end, do you want to talk about maybe your experience, like when you first came to LBC? Because I think you mentioned that that was like a pretty、um, memorable impression of Hong Kong for you. Hong Kong. The first person who talked to us on the street、um, basically pointed. <laughs> he told us that um, my, my family is black. If you don't know who I am, I mentioned I'm from Kenya, but yeah, I'm black. My whole family is black. So、uh, this man on the street, he was a Hong Kong local, and he told us about how much he loves helping poor people in the world. And he was like, "I really want to go to Africa. It's a dream of mine." Blah blah blah. You know, it was just my family just stood there staring at this man, telling us about how. Poor where we, how poor people where we come from are, and I mean it's a fact. It's a fact that you cannot disagree with this to some extent. But the fact that he had overlooked an like the entirety of Hong Kong and just passed the entire Asian continent, like the entire continent of Asia, and he was like, "No, I'm going to come to Africa to help out." So that was a really like interesting introduction to Hong Kong, and、uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like who is this man? Like the audacity to just like、yeah. I don't know. And Hong Kong people aren't even that outgoing. They're like so shy that like they can't even tell you the direction. So like the the fact that this man probably got over his shyness to tell tell you that he was very passionate about poor people. <laughs> I feel like that's a very big statement, and that that、It's、is、so? a very big. Yeah, and like just like him, I don't know. I, I have never met anyone, anybody like that in Hong Kong. Because, yeah, but maybe because I'm Asian and they think I'm the same as. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Okay, yeah, that could also be a thing. But then I never had the same experience again. It was just really interesting because I was like, it's like one of my first few days in Hong Kong, and this is the first like local who speaks to me, and that's what he says. Well, before we end this episode, I would like to ask Jadine to briefly introduce what is the role of SEC to, for example, our first-year audience who are listening to the podcast right now, so they can reach out to you when they have any problem with the school. Yeah, sure. So the SEC 
stands for Student Consultative Committee. It's basically a group of students that are nominated by uh, the student body. So we have block representatives in each block, as well as cultural uh, evening representatives who are nominated from each cultural group that we have at LP. So the role of the SEC is to voice student concerns, organize student events, and um, it's basically the liaison between the student body and the uh, such as Arnett and Michelle, who is the director of student welfare. So basically, we're kind of the um, intermediaries, I guess, between the staff and the student body. And we also help the students, I guess, in whatever areas of concern they may have, as well as planning events that take place, such as the change of pace day, like COP days, and other activities that students want us to plan. And that's what the SEC is. So if you're interested, you can talk to, I guess, any of the members who you find out in your blog or in your cultural evenings, in cultural evening groups. And yeah, it's a really fun and interesting thing to be in. Yeah, feel free to reach out to them. Hey, you have found very interesting to join next year. Yeah, I think Block 3 has had like the best representatives of Block 3. Yay! <laughs> Yay. Block 3? Block 3 oh my God. Tried. Esther, Esther Gale Fraser. Esther is a queen. So if Esther is queen. listening to this, we appreciate you so much, man. I, I miss you so much, Esther. You've done such a great job. You're a great person, a great friend. Guys, if you know who Esther Gale Fraser is, if you don't know who she is, can you find out who she is? Because she's a gem. She's my roommate. Thank you. (laughs) Well, that wraps it up for today. We hope you had a fun time listening to us. And stay tuned for the next episode. And thank you, Judy, for joining us this time. Once again, you have been listening to Fano and Elena on the LPC Canteen. Follow for us for more updates and see ya. Bye. Thanks for having me.